It all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. My guest today is Bjorn Stansvik, pioneer founder and CEO of MentorMate. Bjorn has worked in high-tech and strategic business development in Europe, Latin America, and the United States at leading companies including Procter & Gamble, Ericsson, and Arthur D. Little prior to founding MentorMate in 2001. MentorMate was named a top ICT employer in Bulgaria, and the Star Tribune included MentorMate on its top 150 workplaces list. The new office at seven offices opened in AstraZeneca's BioVenture Hub in Gothenburg, Sweden in 2016. Bjorn holds a Master's of Science in Business Administration from Gothenburg School of Economics and has completed a Master's Thesis in Industrial Economics at the Chalmers University of Technology in Gothenburg. As a recognized technology innovator, Bjorn has won numerous distinctions and is a regular speaker to business groups in entrepreneurship, technology, and management. Bjorn Stansvik, welcome into the corner office. Thank you very much, Brent. Oh, great to have you here today. And I guess you're up in beautiful San Francisco, or, or did we catch you somewhere else in the world today? Uh, 15 minutes north of San Francisco, Marin County. Nice. Beautiful up there. I'm actually just down the coast in San Diego. I uh, came out of the cold of the Northeast a couple of weeks ago, actually almost a month now, and it's uh, been a smile on my face ever, ever since. So for those that are listening that are in the cold, spring is coming, but uh, we're both enjoying that weather today. But uh, let's start a little bit with kind of how you're doing through the pandemic. I know that we spoke a couple of weeks back and, you know, obviously MentorMates had some of the challenges uh, that most firms have had during this period. But how have you been, your family and your colleagues at uh, your company? Yeah, thank you for the question. It's obviously one that's big on everyone's mind or has impacted yeah. everyone. On a personal level, it, it, it's been mixed. Uh, it, mm. Distance learning has been a challenge with kids. I think that's right, the single right. biggest challenge uh, throughout are the your, pandemic. Are your, are your kids young, Bjorn? Yeah, uh, four, yeah, six, and eight. Oh, uh, boy. Yeah, tough haters. Yeah. Yeah, so that's probably the prime challenge for our family. Um, right, right. And then, but now school has actually started again, so, so that's Yay. really nice. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> so it's a lot better. Uh And I just read today in the news, I know that folks are listening to this, this is old news by them, but I read that I think it's Moderna that's begun testing kids between six months and 12 years. So they're finally going to be having some data with regards to testing uh, vaccinated kids at that age, which I think is wonderful. 
Yeah, exactly. And that's actually the, the vaccine we, we got as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but then, uh, you know, there's been a lot of positives, too, from a personal standpoint, less travel, the, the commuting. So I uh, right. commuted uh, monthly to Minnesota, where our uh, headquarters are. So I, right, I, right. I don't, don't have to get on a plane as much. So so that's much appreciated. And I think has been true for, for a lot of people who didn't really like their, their commutes. Um, right. And then working from home, again, kids distance learning, you know, interruptions. And yeah. I'm not alone about it. Uh, so I, <laughs> right, right. so we're still navigating that. I have pulled the curtain now and locked the door uh, to, the, to, to the home office, which is a separate building, but it's only 30 seconds from the main house and they, they do know where it is. <laughs> they do know where it is. Yeah. Well, the good thing is they're back in school. And how has yeah. your staff done? Have you had any major, you know, issues with COVID? Has it been able sure. to be business as usual? Uh, better than expected. I, I yeah, mean, everyone right. has a very uh, personal um, uh, experience, I think. And, and to generalize, I think extroverts have probably struggled more than introverts. Mm, yeah. um, now we're in tech with, I suppose, without playing too much into stereotypes that we have a little bit more introverts than extroverts. <laughs> right, right. Uh, so, I, I mean, I've been very impressed by how the staff has held up. Now, at the same time, I don't say that to minimize or or be oblivious to, to many of the challenges and, and sure. the suffering that, that's going on. So I want to be very careful and sensitive to recognize that. But that having been said, I, I'm, I'm really impressed. It, it's gone off or over better than expected. Uh, we have adapted. You know, you have the virtual hangouts, the, the virtual right. happy hours. Right. They do get, I, I think, after a certain amount of time, and I think many people are at that point now, they do get a little staler or older. Yeah. We've tried right. to mix right. it up with more interactive elements, you know, like game show hosts and whatnot. But <laughs> you, you can only take it so far, I think. So, That's so I, right. I think we've done what we can. But I also think that a lot of people are ready to get back into the office. And I hope that's going to be the case uh, sooner than later. We right. have done a number of surveys of our staff, and they've been pretty consistent in terms of how the population divides equally into good. about half of the people saying, good riddance to the office, I want to work from home. <laughs> so that, that's right, one right. half. So those people, I think we're going to entice with, with food and you know really nice rethought offices because coming in once in a while, I think will be a positive for events and, and team building and so on. But we will respect and lean into the new normal of, of working from anywhere. But so half of the people, we're not going to see that much more in the office, I predict. The, yeah. uh, the other half have said, mm, I want to come in somewhere between one and five days a week. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it's going to vary. So it's really a spectrum. And, yeah. it, yeah, you know, some people just like being in the office. They are in a minority. But but it's certainly a, um, a, a non-trivial uh, size of that group. Yeah. Uh, so it it's a bit of choose your own adventure. Right, right, right. Well, that's good. Well, I'm glad that uh, you are getting through it. And uh, with vaccinations now becoming more and more readily available, um, we'll hopefully be moving to a to perhaps not a new normal, but certainly a different normal, right? Uh, I don't think everything's going to be quite the same as it once was, but uh, Glad to hear that you and your family and your and your co colleagues are doing well. 
But let, let's get back to you. And you've got such an interesting background. You are our first Swedish-born CEO on the show. So I'm very excited about that, having lived and worked in Sweden myself many years ago. Tell us a little bit about the early years. I believe you grew up in Gothenburg, if I'm not mistaken. And what was that early family life like? Uh, sure. Yeah, you're correct. Grew up in Gothenburg, short stints in um, Stockholm. And that was later in life, uh, professionally uh, speaking. But uh, yeah, grew up middle class. Mom's a physician, mm. uh, yeah, geriatrician, general practice. In, in Sweden, doctors don't get paid nearly as much as in America. Right. So right. it was right. truly middle class. And yeah. my, my dad uh, was a controller uh, with the municipality. local. Uh, oh, okay. And he was actually, um, before that, he was a controller with the healthcare, um, I'm translating here, mm. but healthcare authority. And he invented right. his 15 minutes of fame. He invented the pricing model for Swedish healthcare. So he actually hosted ah. uh, an American delegation that came over with the question of how do you guys do it in Sweden for half the money with better outcomes? Wow. Cool. Cool. Brothers and sisters? Uh, yep. Uh, younger sister, five years younger, works for Apple, uh, lives in Santa oh. Cruz, just a couple hours from here. And that was pro uh, probably one of the key reasons we moved here. Yeah. She, she also has three young kids, uh, similar nice. ages, so the cousins can grow up together. Yeah. Awesome. What were some of the things that you remember from mom and dad growing up, you know, uh, culturally, uh, things that were important that they instilled in you? They were pretty overprotective, uh, mm. I would say, which um, I think at the time I found cloying and and uh, <laughs> irritating and, and right, not not right. not very cool. But if <laughs> I psychoanalyze myself, I think them being there all the time made me uh, secure enough to actually emigrate, start a company, and so on. Yeah. I just felt very safe. Yeah. Um, so I, I give them credit for for that. Yeah. And and then my dad too. He um, he actually had a big career opportunity, but in his case, he turned it down to uh, oh. spend more time with the family. Oh, um, great! Very focused. I love that. Were you a good student in school? Yes, uh, pretty much all A's all the time. It was very easy. I, I felt yeah. school. Yeah. Um, did computer science, mathematics, other sciences come easy to you early on? You, you know, the, the, the odd ironic thing running, running a software company is that software development was my one C. Uh, <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> and, 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 I'm sure not too many of your employees know that. So we'll have to have a restricted distribution of this. <laughs> yeah, certainly. And I just, I don't know. I like human languages, history, religion, the humanities a lot more. Right. I mean, I got I got A's in math and physics and, and science and chemistry, all of that. But when it came to programming, and we were learning Pascal, this all oh I, my gosh, oh yeah, it was yeah. it was torture to me. It, so right. it's so it's kind of funny that I'm running a software development company. But what I love <laughs> about software is the the creativity, the the blank canvas creativity that it allows. Right, you start with the screen, or it doesn't have to be a screen; it could be a you know voice recognition or whatever interface you have. Right. But right. you, you start with something that's really has a lot of degrees of freedom. And, and that's mm -hmm. what I love about technology development. Yeah. What about some other interests? Sports, music, debate? Sure. Were there other things that you got involved with as a kid? Uh, when it comes to sport, I never really enjoyed the um, organized sports, if you will. But I loved nature. So hiking, mm -hmm. kayaking, uh, just being outdoors. outdoors. Yep. Yeah, Absolute yeah. mountain biking, motorcycling. 
uh, all of it. Can't get enough of it. Uh, but if it was soccer practice, I, I tried that. I played on a number of teams, but it, it was just I, not your thing. I, I don't like showing up at a certain time, or right? I'm more <laughs> autonomous. <laughs> right. Uh, so let's see what was the um, the other question interest. Yeah, uh, just in terms of uh, uh, other types of things you did as a kid, any entrepreneurial things, you know, in the, yep, in the state yep, we typically sure. grow up with paper roots and so mm -hmm. forth. And you've, of course, founded your own company. Was there some early entrepreneurial learnings and leanings you had? Sure. Uh, and to stay with the sports, my parents tried to get me into the ballet when I was five years old. I okay. I, I totally hated it and, and did not cooperate. So I, I'm not a ballet dancer. I, <laughs> I, I don't think I have the talent either. Uh, but uh, let's see here. Entrepreneurial ventures. The first one was probably an apple pie attempt. Mm. Uh, so we, uh, we secured some resources from a couple of local apple trees and I put my, wow. um, younger sister and her friends and my friends to work peeling and cutting apples. So we had a <laughs> kind of an assembly line, if you will, of, it was so many apples, uh, from, from there on, we went to distribution, um, making our own signs and sitting down by the local grocery store. Sales were lackluster, to, to state it mildly, <laughs> and we proceeded to work through word of mouth in the network of friends and family, and were eventually able to dispose of the merchandise that way. <laughs> I love it. Uh, it's terrific. What other types of jobs uh, did, you know, I know growing up in Europe is a little different. You don't yep. necessarily have the part-time jobs and so forth, but did you do any of that or sure. was it until yep. college until you started working? Yeah. Uh, so I did a number of summer jobs, practical trainings, worked at the nursing home, taking feeding, caring for Alzheimer patients when wow. I was um, 16, I think I was. Yeah. Year prior, I was helping the janitor there repair everything that broke. Uh, and then I think tell us, I, tell us a little more about that. What what led you to volunteer at the Alzheimer's uh, uh, care? Well, my mom was the resident physician, so she okay. was uh, actually running a few nursing homes, and um, I just asked her if I could do summer work there. I, yeah. I I think it was just kind of a natural you go to where your parents are working. Yeah, and that's where my mom happened to work. So I was there. Um, yeah, uh, feeding people and getting kind of a close-up yeah. view of, of that. And then there was a bit of, uh, of course, coming from Gothenburg, you got to do a stint at Volvo. So I packaged spare parts <laughs> into cardboard boxes, uh, a lot of those. Uh, and I, I had a run-in with the union there, actually. Uh, the union first told me I had to join them, which oh. I didn't want to do, but I couldn't work there otherwise. Uh and then they told me I couldn't work more than 40 hours a week or something like that. So mm. I got I got two time stamp sheets. So, <laughs> so I was working 80 hours a week that, oh my God. Uh, with, with two of those. Um, and then you asked about... Now, was that during college or that must have been during a summer or something? Yeah, during two summers. Yeah, uh, it was. It's called prep school. It's between college and high school, but around right. that age. I think I was 17, yeah. 18 when I did that. Right. Right. And at the same time, too, I had another uh, second entrepreneurial venture. Um, the county where my dad worked, uh, they were getting rid of their old computers. And I mm. think they were selling them for between $10 and $20 a piece. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, and I sensed an arbitrage opportunity. So, <laughs> so I quickly drove over there in our Volvo 240, the, the square old one, and right. uh, sure. said, I want to buy them all. So I bought all of them uh, for ten to twenty dollars a pop, and then I was stuffing that old two forty Volvo full of old 
computers <laughs> and some other citizens show up and say they wanted to buy some too. And they said, well, that young man there, he just bought all of them. And uh-huh. it, they were not too happy about that. But I said, you know, they got here first. So I, re- yeah, exactly. I, I refurbished all of those and had a little um, marketing campaign and resold them at a bit of a profit. So those nice. are some early, nice. early days. Yeah. Well, it was probably a foregone conclusion that you go to college. I mean, it's a cultural thing, but also with both your parents being uh, highly educated. And, and you went to, I think, count four or five different universities. So tell yeah. us a little bit about that path. And, and, you know, it looks like you did some studies, of course, in the States as well as, as, as in Sweden. And, you know, give us a little bit of uh, background as to your choices behind your education. Yeah, I had shifting priorities they started (laughs) out first i didn't know what i wanted to do so that was the first priority i had to figure that out so i i I picked generalist types of education business languages and then i was fortunate enough to land an internship actually in san diego where you're at now at the swedish consulate downtown uh close to horton plaza there Uh, yeah and i loved that internship it was very varied Mm. trade promotion helping citizens in need and um, just, yeah. So I uh, got interested in diplomacy, the European Union, the United Nations, and and studied some political science. Uh, Did you think a diplomatic career might be in your uh, future at one point? Yep. Yeah. For about a year or two, at least. I I thought that was in my future. And then I was fortunate enough to land an internship with Procter & Gamble in Stockholm oh, in la- laundry detergents and the exciting world of value pricing. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, Indeed. because we, we want to cultivate that consumer loyalty, of course. Yeah. Uh, so I did that, opened up my mind to business, and I said, you know what? Diplomacy will have to wait. I'm going to get into business. Uh, and I was very focused on that for a while. And then I was fortunate to um, land an internship with Ericsson, a Swedish Ericsson, te- yeah. Yeah, telecom strategic business development right. in Stockholm for their new intelligent homes uh, initiative. And together with a friend, um, we wrote our master thesis project. Uh, and that was really the pivotal moment that opened up my uh, view to yeah. technology, technology and what yeah. you could do with that. Yeah. And what was the first kind of full-time job you had at the end of your education? Or or did you work full-time and then go back and get your master's and your MBA later? You know, I, I sprinkled lots of educational things, yeah. including management, consulting, and, and so mm-hmm. on during my studies. And I, I tripled up on, on the student load and it, just because I, w- I was able to study fast. And um, after, so, so I did it all kind of in one fell swoop at the same time. And then it was when it was time to get a, a, a real job, so to speak, I, <laughs> I did some interviewing in Sweden in management consulting, but I really wanted to, to go over to the States. And I, I, I forgot to mention, I had been over there prior as an exchange student. Oh, right, right. Or I should say now, foreign student because no one yeah. went in my stead, but yeah. Right. Now, was that um, in the, at the high school level or did you do that uh, during your college years? College. College, yeah. Cool. And it was Northern State University, I believe, right? Correct. Where was that? Where uh, was that located? In the great state of uh, South Dakota. Oh, my goodness. Wow. That must have been a little bit of a culture shock coming from Gothenburg. It, it was. And Sweden, as you may know, having been there, is, I think, by many measures, the most secular country in the world. Mm. And I mm. ended up in a Mormon or Mennonite host family. (laughs) Yeah. Did you live with a Mennonite family? Yeah. Yeah. 
I did. Uh, or well, m- they came from Mennonites. Uh, I, I wasn't so. So we we visited Mennonite colonies, but I didn't live in one. Uh, but yeah. they, they were highly religious, and I I was not. So so that made for um, an exchange of ideas, you could call it. Yeah, yeah, terrific. And how long were you there? One year. One year. Awesome. Did a lot of traveling during that time yeah. too across the, the country, including a 33 day trip and a 1918 Chevy citation that kept breaking down nice. across the Western United <laughs> States. That's great. And, and That's that, great. So was, that was actually what, what attracted me to America that trip when yeah. the car kept breaking down because the, I had to rely on the uh, kindness of strangers and especially mm. out, outside of the big cities. Uh, the Americans that I came across were were incredibly kind and, and generous uh, in yeah. in helping us keep our journey going. Mm, that's good to hear. Did you do that with um, some other Swedish friends that came over, or some American friends you met? I it was actually with a girlfriend from Chile, so the two of us. Oh, wow! Yeah, great, great combination. Awesome. So back to the first job. Now was that with Hunt Technologies, or was there another kind of full time after education job? start nope you got it and uh that one started in a very very convoluted uh way uh but ultimately one that really shaped my time here in the united states in many ways so when i decided to go to america i had a little bit of a challenge in the sense that i didn't have a work permit or a sponsor Mm -hmm. or any connections or or any money or anything of that sort (laughs) So I, I started by asking Ericsson, who knew me, hey, you know, can you transfer me to the States? And they sure, said, right. uh, no, we got a job for you in Germany, Sweden, or Norway. You can pick any of those three. And I said, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not interested. I want to go to America. So I said goodbye, got a couple of suitcases and got on a plane and uh, went to um, Minneapolis, uh, where there's Minnesota's a big Swedish community there. Unfortunately, I was detained in immigration, and unfortunately, I had a big stack of resumes printed in my suitcase. Oh. <laughs> uh, a little obvious what you were doing there. <laughs> yeah, it didn't go over that well for some reason. So I was put in this little cell where they started interrogating me, asking what my intentions were and so on. And I, I said, well, my intentions are to look for a job, but not to accept one until I have yeah. secured the proper work permit. Right. So kind of talking through those points um, w- was a little bit dicey, but in the end, they, <laughs> they ended up believing me and let me through. But I was very, very careful then with all prospective employers to disclose very quickly that I didn't have a work permit, which unfortunately sure. made the job interviews very short, where they said, well, <laughs> then you can't work here. <laughs> right, the, right. the door is there. So I did at about 150 times over the course of maybe oh my 80 wow. days. Uh, wow. And you have 90 days, as you may know, on the visa waiver. That's right. Yeah. So I, with 10 or it might have been 20 days to spare, I was pretty desperate and made a last ditch attempt with my ethnic community, the Swedish community in Minnesota, yeah. to the uh, institute there. And I was introduced um, through my friend Eric Lindbergh to them. And there was a man there by the name of Anders Rudoker, Anders Rudoker, who was the CEO of St. <laughs> Paul District Energy. And he was also from Sweden, but had been there for Sounds 30 like it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I just want to make sure everyone knew. Uh, 
he uh, had been there 30 years and he said, my attorney's son works at a high tech company called Hunt oh. Technologies up in Pequot Lakes, three hours north of the Twin Cities. And they're looking for people. Maybe you ought to talk to them. Wow. So I did. Uh, and I knew this was my last best chance. So I yeah. had um, prepared a whole presentation SWOT analysis and you know <laughs> you had 180 rejections prior to that right? yeah I, I i was just not gonna let them reject me so when they started interviewing me i said I'm, I'm sorry but you have to hold your questions i will now proceed to tell you what to do with your company wow and and then i went on cool. to with, with yeah with all the humility of a 25 year old uh <laughs> tell them what they should do with their business oh my goodness and when i was done they they asked me when i could start uh, wow. And I said, well, that, one that's one small issue. <laughs> yeah, one small issue, this work permit thing. Uh, and they said, well, we're this small company from Minnesota. We don't know this foreign stuff. So you seem like, you know, a nice enough guy, but we, we just don't want that complication. So mm. see you later. We're, we'll hire, yeah. hire an American. So my heart sank quite yeah. a bit and my desperation level spiked. Uh, and I was, um, I had done some business intelligence gathering, knowing that they wanted, for some odd reason, uh, to expand to El Salvador. And I, I didn't think it was really the key target they should be marketing, but that's what mm -hmm. they wanted to do. So I went back to where I was staying, and in four days, I had written an 80-page market entry strategy report for automatic meter reading equipment, which is what they were doing for the El yeah. Salvadoran market. And I FedExed that to them, calling them as soon as I saw it was delivered asking if they liked my report, to which they yeah. responded, we didn't ask for you to write a report. <laughs> uh, to which I responded, well, I, that's my gift for you. And by the way, I'm right. coming up tomorrow for new employee orientation. To, <laughs> to which they oh responded, you're not hired. Uh, I, I said, I know that. That's just the detail. I, but in, in light of you know having spent this time writing this report, if you could just humor me, and, and let me learn a little bit more about your company, which, which is very fascinating to me. I would be mm. very grateful. And, and they, um, they relented and, and said, okay, wow. you can do that, but you're not hired. You don't work here, just so we're clear. <laughs> I said, okay. So then I went through new employee orientation. And after that, I told them I wanted a desk and a computer. And they looked at me a little funny and said, Bjorn, you seem a little slow. What part of not being hired don't you get? <laughs> and I said, oh I said, no, 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 don't worry about it. I'm just going to volunteer here. You don't need, don't pay me. Uh, and mm. to volunteer, you don't need a work permit, I told him. That's right. Absolutely. I, actually, I, I I've later learned it's incorrect. Oh. You actually do want, so I, I don't want <laughs> listeners to think this, but I was honestly ignorant of, of that detail and they were too, and right. it seemed reasonable enough. So they let me into the building, which was, wow. you know, their, their mistake. And, uh, pretty <laughs> soon I just walked into, as soon as I saw a meeting, I would just walk in and sit down quietly until I got smart. Then I raised my hand and volunteered to do the work. So within a week or so I was integrated in every major project in the wow. company Wow. And then I approached them. Did they, did they implement your El Salvadorian uh, project? Yeah, yeah, and uh, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll tell you in a minute what happened yeah. with that. But after those two uh, week, one or two weeks there, I approached them again and I said, "Look, here's what's going to happen. You are going to sponsor me, but I do need to go back to Sweden to do things legally." 
so I, um, you know, will work globally for you until you secure a work mm -hmm. permit for me, and then I'll come back and then I'll help you globalize your company. Yeah, uh, and they said, you know what, we like your approach. We'll we'll go ahead and sponsor you. Wow. Fantastic. Uh, well, it, perseverance, it sounds like, is a key word there. Huh? Yeah. And, and one <laughs> one of the things, and it took the uh, INS, as it was called, then eight, nine months to figure out that they should approve the application. And now there's expedited treat, uh, processing and all of that didn't exist right. when I did it. Anyways, one, one of the missions I was on then was to El Salvador. So I did go over wow. there and, and um, I was, that, that's a whole different story. What Got happened that then? Running. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. Well, thank you for sharing. What a terrific story. And then shortly thereafter, you got into the learning management systems business. Now, tell us a little bit how that started. Yeah, so I I was trying to impress a girl I was dating by learning Chinese, uh, <laughs> and I wasn't really doing that well with the language learning part of it. Um, but I started thinking, I've always been fascinated how we can remember, learn things uh, quicker. So I read up on that, and then I... Um, I really realized two things. One was that your learning resource had to be with you at all times. Mm. So hence mobile computing. And those were the days of the Palm Pilot, Palm Pilot, which I erroneously thought was the iPhone, but it wasn't quite there. But I right. thought I thought it right. was. And the yeah. second notion... Most people did, to your defense. <laughs> I, I try... Um, I shouldn't be that um, critical of, of myself. But uh, at any rate, the other notion was... The cognitive, real-time right-sizing of the educational challenge uh, via a formative, adaptive assessment methodology that essentially mm. aimed to keep you in the flow state of mind at, at all times. So to put it differently, you don't want things to be too easy. Then you get bored. You, you're not really exercising your brain. You don't want them to be too hard because now you're, not, now you're just stuck, right? So you right. want to be able to sense in real time what's your level of mastery or proficiency with a particular fact element. And that's where I invented uh, uh, what's now an, an issued U.S. patent on that, um, in, and it's called uh, adaptive formative uh, assessment. Mm -hmm. uh, assessments, both long and short answer questions. So anyway, so, so I thought that constituted together mobility plus that educational approach was a bit better mousetraps. I went out and raised about $1.5 million in cash and um, wow. services on evenings and weekends during the dot-com bust and winter, yeah. which was one of the hardest things I ever did. I, I think it took me three years to, to do that race. Um, but I, I garnered enough money to feel secure in starting it and risk losing the, the first work permit I had. Uh, so I, I, I came to a more precarious uh, status that way, but left that uh, job with Hunt Technologies after having served uh, two years there yeah, and yeah. got going on this, only then to learn that no one really wanted to pay for it, but it took me about four or five years to realize that. Right, right. So you, did you start managing people then in the startup or, or did you have people responsibilities while you're still at Hunt? Uh, let's see. Um, you know, at Hunt, I worked in a lot of product teams. So right. I'm trying to remember now. I don't think I had direct reports really. More, uh, more, leadership, it was more leadership experience. Yeah, leadership experience, but yeah. not so much management experience. So when was the first time you started managing 
It, it was uh, 2001, and yeah. it, was, it was high school students. Uh, right. Right. So, because, They're cheap and available. <laughs> yeah, and they also happened to be the guinea pigs for the educational content because I focused on advanced placement. So we had AP U.S. history and so on. And actually, one of them in particular, Stephen, he, uh, he volunteered to, be, um, uh, to organize focus groups to design the user interface for the Palm Pilot right. apps and so on. And pretty soon, he and a, a few others, they, they were regulars, and they thought it was fun building software and, and, um, and so on. Um, so yeah, so that, that's how it all began. And he became that's a very great. important part of the company yeah. o- over the years. And um, right. I think he's now working for Google. Google. Well-trained. <laughs> I, I'd, I'd so, like to so, think so. <laughs> so 20 years later, in fact, I think your anniversary is this month. Is it not? Was, wasn't uh, the company founded in March of 2001? You know, that is so funny. I should have thought of that. You are. It, it's today. It's today, actually. March it's 16th. It's today. It, oh it is gosh. today. It's literally today. Wow, March 16th. Wow. Well, well that's, that was uh, actually predisposed, I think. We uh, you know, yeah. predestined for us to do that. Yeah. Well, congratulations on that. And, and close to 700, 600 employees now? Yeah, closer to 700. Um, and yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's been. Um, I say it's almost like a real company now. Uh, and then my <laughs> leaders correct me and say we're we're not even a small company. We're actually a medium sized company now. Bjorn. That's right. That's right. Uh, and I, yeah, I part think, of the part of the middle market. <laughs> yeah, I think they're right. Yeah, fantastic. Well, tell us a little bit about you know kind of some leadership reflection, starting from those first you know high school students you managed to now a. Uh, a very large organization. What what are some of the key leadership lessons you've learned over the last 20 years? So the first one that comes to mind uh, is adapting the techniques to the person in question, right? Sounds like an obvious thing, but... No no cookie cutters. No. (laughs) So having started with high school students, you may um, call some of the management micromanagement. I I was paying them in Chicken McNuggets and McDonald's French fries to start. (laughs) I imagine. A few Coca-Colas every now and then. (laughs) No, literally. Uh, And um, then, you, you know... But but once I saw the capabilities, uh, so for instance with Stephen, you know, then I started letting go more and more. So I right. I be I, I was very very hands on in the beginning, perhaps too much so for some some people's liking. Uh, but then when I saw them take on more responsibility, I, I let go of that. And then as we started growing. I, I may have over-delegated as well, but it mm. goes to the other extreme of when you're working with highly, highly capable people, I see the role more as being an intellectual sparring partner, if you will, yeah. Yeah. where we're only, the, the management style I have is not by consensus, but it's very consultative and, mm-hmm, and it's mm-hmm. the rare exception that I would overrule or override um, our leaders, because quite frankly, they know their jobs better than I do. And right. so, sometimes I'll have a different opinion, but but that's the exception. Uh, so I, I think we have check your ego at the door, yeah. high autonomy with high expectations. And, and there's a lot of urgency and impatience. It's not for everyone. Uh, in the early days, there was more sink or swim. Uh, didn't mm. didn't suit everyone. Now we have more systems and so on, and with greater size comes 
greater uh, specialization. So, so swim lanes get more and more defined, which uh, I think makes it a little easier on people in general. In in the early days, we needed more Mustangs, so to speak, or mutants or whatever you want to call them, yeah. people who can do a lot of different things. And I yeah. sometimes you and I have been guilty of it, assuming that people know what you know and that it all should be obvious, right? So, right. so making right. that explicit being systematic without being over-engineered and and always striving for that balance of um agility versus structure uh and and honing and dialing in on that based on on the feedback Mm. you you get so being a really good listener and reading the signals Mm. because a lot of the most important signals you get as a leader are are very quiet you know they're not the loudest ones you, you really really got to think about and you know whether it's body language whether it's a research report whether it's a trend mm. i mean you got to be an extremely good listener to make predictions that are more right than wrong yeah yeah absolutely what, what would you say is most unique or, or perhaps unusual about your company culture Bjorn? so it's it's funny to get that question today as opposed to a week ago and i say that <laughs> Because I, I just had this interesting meeting with our VP of design, Danny Royal, and um, sometimes when you build a company from the ground up, you think, well, this is just the normal way. Why, why don't everyone, why doesn't everyone do it this way, right? Right, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, But he said, no, it, it's actually really different. And he calls it different by design. And now I'm, I'm spilling some some beans, you know, he's, he's, so I don't want to steal his thunder. but. Uh, <laughs> So, so we we are extremely transparent. Uh, we we put so so we do a lot of offshore work, but we put it in Bulgaria and we put the Bulgarians directly in touch with our clients. We don't hide anything. Wow. We give full transparency to clients, so it's just super open. That's one thing. They start their workday at noon in Bulgaria, right. giving us a four-hour overlap with the Midwest, a two-hour with the West Coast, and a five-hour overlap with the East Coast for that uh, synchronous collaboration. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they end at 8 p.m. their, their time. Um, and, and then the, the culture of, of openness, and I mentioned you know high autonomy, high expectations. There's just a number of elements in how the company has been built up that just kind of made sense to us when we did it, but that have formed um, a, a different DNA, if, if you will. Right. What do you look for when you're making bets on the people you invest in and hire? I look for the um, ability to plug a hole that we have or or conquer new ground that we've been unable to conquer in the past. Mm. Mm. So, and, and those can get somewhat difficult to discern some of them are very textbooky and and kind of easy to rattle off you know marketing or or operations and and you plug it in there but then there's one or two or three or four layers of the onion below that where you Mm -hmm. look for what what aspect of operations are we missing what aspect of marketing are we missing in the current mix that we have or what's a totally new or different way of thinking about how do we grow up as a company? What's what's the journey ahead? What's a function that doesn't really exist? Or what's the sense-making that we need right. to do as a company to stay 
relevant. So we're just making a big uh, bet in that area by welcoming back uh, uh, someone who used to work with us, mm. uh, Craig, uh, who went to a bigger company, worked there for a while, and then made the determination he, he wanted to come back. And we welcomed him mm. back to to help us lead uh, growth. So he's he's joining here in a couple of weeks. Nice. Nice. How do you personally interview? You know, what what kind of questions do you like to ask to kind of get at that, uh, you know, that 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 onions, <laughs> those layers of onions, so to speak. I I like stories, case mm. studies. I I prefer not to talk in generalities, but deduce generalities from specifics rather than the other way around, mm. uh, because I think that um, it it's not very telling to ask someone about um, generalities. But if you ask them about a story or how they solved something and you keep Mm. probing and interviewing them, uh, you you can deduce what what skills or what insights did they actually um, demonstrate in that. And and for some reason, it makes me think of my interviewing when I was at the Swedish consulate and in San Diego, where we interviewed people who wanted to become Swedish citizens or, or right. get a Swedish green card and so on, usually as two spouses, right? And we wanted to make sure it wasn't uh, uh, sham marriages and so right. on. So we That's would true. separate them into two rooms and then interview and drill down in some aspect of their story. Uh, you know, what was the color of the hotel room? You know, you first, right. you know. Right. And then you go into yeah. the other room and you'd ask the same, well, what the, what was the color of that hotel room? <laughs> right. What did you do this weekend? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so I, but, you know, honestly, it, these days with the team, I, I rely a lot on the team in terms of sussing those things out. Um, yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Well, listen, we've almost out of time, but you've been very, very gracious with uh telling us your stories. I, I really enjoy the hunt technology stories that if that doesn't say perseverance, I don't know what does, but we always ask one last question and, and I know it's going to be at the top of this, but I'd love to hear more of that. You know, what kind of career and life advice would you give to someone who, you know, maybe has their eyes on the corner office or perhaps wants to be an entrepreneur like yourself, you know, looking at maybe early on in their career, they've got a great idea and they want to pursue it and make it big. You know, my, my first advice is, is kind of a non-advice because I, I, I believe in something called a Gestalt protocol, where it's a bit mm. presumptuous to, to give advice to someone you don't know because you don't know their character or their priorities. Mm. But rather, I would say, listen to stories, whether it's mine or others, read biographies and see what resonates mm. with your core. So mm. I, w- I would look for resonance, personal resonance as, as you're exposed. I, I would start with expose yourself to lots of different life stories and trajectories. See what resonates with you. And that resonance, I think, will then lead to inspiration, what, what you should mm. pursue. But you should find that within yourself rather than me telling you. Yeah, yeah. Is that how you stumbled on uh, the learning uh, direction? Uh, you know, was there something at Hunt that uh, you learned that kind of led you down that path? Uh, yes and no. So it was something that resonated within me. I don't know if it was at Hunt that I stumbled across it, but I, I was always fascinated by how, how do we make our, our brains go faster or, mm. or so on because we live in a way in our in our heads right and how can you make your your head work better so to speak so so that was that's been a lifelong fascination of mine and and then i just i love the mobile gadgets what you know even before the palm pilot was that casio and i 
I tried to just optimize my productivity with these little organizers, and I had all kinds of systems for it. So those passions had been with me and were persistent. And then they found an expression that, that in a way, blossomed, if you will, into an innovation that, that was too early for its time. It ended up actually as a sidetrack. That became a, a different company seven years down the line when Medtronic reached out and wanted something similar on iPads. They, they had somehow heard of me. So I, start, I started a new company that way. But that, right. that's a yeah. different story. Yeah. Well, Bjorn Stansvik, CEO and founder of MentorMate, thank you so very much for sharing your journey into the corner office. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brandt, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.goforroi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode.